Welcome, everybody, to episode 184 of the Metabolist 2 podcast, which features myself, Ben. And I am David. And what are we talking about this week, David? I think we're going to ask the question, well, I'm asking the question, what, what do fans want from Doctor Who? What do you want from Doctor Who, Ben? Ah, that's an excellent question. We had talked about doing it like on a year basis, mm-hmm. which I was thinking about that this afternoon. Mm-hmm. Um, what do we want in 1989? What do we want in 1996? And what did we want in 2005? Yeah. Yeah. And maybe even extend it out. What do we want in 2021? Assuming that will be coming back. Yeah. Well, 1989, I wasn't watching the show particularly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess I didn't really care that it, <laughs> that, that it, I didn't, I didn't really mind if it didn't continue or if it did continue. Right. I wasn't, you know, phoning the BBC and complaining. Right. The main thing I wanted is for everything to be cheaper in that I was a student yeah. and I literally was unable to afford the 15, 20, 25 quid or so that the Doctor Who VHSs cost. Mm-hmm. So I was unable to watch past episodes of my favorite show which i was very keen to do but couldn't do it right the repeats that they uh so repeats is something that i wanted Mm -hmm. and the repeats that the kind of fitful repeats that the bbc did i think on bbc2 in the early 1990s i was very excited by and attempted to record on my crappy vhs recording (laughs) device which periodically didn't actually work at all right but that was um that was my main wish is that there was more i could there i could consume more old doctor who yeah and that didn't really seem to be something that was particularly available for unknownish reasons probably another 10 years before really we started getting doctor who affordable enough it wasn't until like 98 99 time frame well maybe a little bit earlier post i thought i mean the vhs I mean, I don't know how much the VHS cassettes cost in the United States, but they were real. They were expensive. A four-part story would be twenty-five dollars, about if, if memory serves. They were not inexpensive purchases. No, I, I'm remem- I'm remembering something in the region of fifteen to twenty pounds mm-hmm. or so. So, like season twelve would put you back over a hundred dollars. Yeah, you'd have to really, really remember that you liked it. Right. Uh, I mean, I used to skulk around, you know, HMV etc virgin megastore because periodically things would go on sale and then mm-hmm. you would leap on it um when it was on sale and similarly actually with the virgin books as well because obviously those were very much at the forefront and you know in london in virgin megastore etc right the you know the new adventures which didn't really seem to be available in public libraries mm-hmm. and i you know i can't actually remember how much they were but they were expensive to take a punt on basically right yeah, you definitely were taking a risk because... It... You were, yeah, because some of them suck. <laughs> to put it gently. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, some of them were really good. And again, I can remember I moved to the United States of America to marry my wife in 1994. And David, you remember this because I think you lived in Minneapolis then as well. There was a place called... Shoot, what was that place called? Um, what was that kind of weird big building and they would sell <laughs> um they would only sell like damaged things what was that Axman? called no 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 it was in northeast hmm. um 
Uh, the the name will come to me. Anyway, it was like a giant, like three story building, mm-hmm. and they would bulk buy fire damaged and water damaged stuff from stores across the country and then sell it at a massive discount. Mm-hmm. And one day I went in there and they had a whole bunch of Virgin New Adventures. Huh. So I bought them all. You cleaned them out. I cleaned them out, but they still didn't have all of them. And I actually finished my run of Virgin New Adventures when we moved back to London in 1996, mm-hmm. when they were basically, there was, an, there was I think it was an offer through Doctor Who magazine and you could get all of them for like, a pound each or something. So I just basically ordered the rest of them. So, of course, some of them I still haven't read. Right. Um, but anyway, yeah. Sorry, that's... Yeah, that's that was memory. the collecting gene. So early yeah. on, I think we also wanted things to collect. We did. I mean, we wanted to have things. We wanted to have things we could buy and have. And there wasn't any... There really wasn't anything to, to collect, to be honest. The Target novelizations were the primo collector item... Pretty much in the 70s and 80s, it wasn't until the home video market uh, expanded in the 90s did people start trying to acquire the entire back catalog or, well, effectively, the entire run of Doctor Who that was available. Yeah, yeah. So I think think, uh, from an early standpoint, fans wanted to own Doctor Who. I think that would be a safe way to... Yeah. A safe thing to say. Well, they weren't making it, mm-hmm. so... I mean, I guess, you know, if I'd been more um, willing to be involved in kind of fandom, which I sort of... I wasn't really that... Um, Banks! It was called Banks. Sorry, I've just remembered what that store was called. <laughs> Banks. B-A-N-K-S. Banks. Mm-hmm. Uh, um... And it was, I wasn't, yeah, I'm not, wasn't really interested in being a fan. Though, of course, I could have done because that's ground, that was kind of, you know, almost like kind of ground zero for like hanging out with Russell T. Davis and Stephen Moffat and being able to have funny stories about them in the pub. Right. But of course, I didn't. So, yeah, I was just, I didn't really have anything to consume. I wanted more things to consume and I wanted them to be available at a cheaper price point. Mm hmm. And they were expensive because Doctor Who fandom was relatively small in 89 and 96. Yeah, it was. So they weren't being mass produced. No. I mean, they were being kind of weirdly produced. I mean, I think it's, you know, the whole kind of Virgin New Adventures yeah. line was, was kind of kind of weird mm-hmm. a little bit. But, you know, I mean, well done because they, they nurtured a lot of talented kind of writers. good writers. And mm-hmm. they got a lot of good ideas and good stories out there. Yeah. And that was a time of fan ownership in a creative sense, too, where fans of the show were now writers for the show, thanks to the Virgin line of missing and new adventures. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how was it for you in the United States in the early 90s Uh, in terms of consumption of who? I mean, were they still playing it on the telly? They were playing uh, it on the television, but by that time I had recorded what I wanted to watch, and I was oh, slowly replacing with uh, commercial video cassettes with uh, what I had recorded off the air, and because the quality was better and it was episodic. After the first few releases, they started doing it uh, in parallel to what they were doing in, the, in in the UK, where they would release the story episodically rather than an omnibus format. Uh, for me, I wasn't too keen on the Virgin New Adventures. The stories I can remember you being very dismissive about. Yeah, them. the stories just weren't what I was looking for, and I'm trying to think back what I was looking for, and I think I was probably <laughs> what looking... did you want as a fan? Yeah, I yeah. think I was probably looking for 
less adult stories. I think I was looking for more stories geared towards the clever 12-year-old of the 1970s rather than the <laughs> oversexed teenager or young adult of the 1990s. They were, in general, slightly overwritten, mm. I think, <laughs> really. I remember being very pleased when they started releasing The Missing Adventures, which I enjoyed more mm -hmm. because I like reading stories about past doctors mm -hmm. and, you know, then hopefully kind of past monsters rather than kind of cyberpunky stuff which i mean i was you know i read i read all ian gibson and sterling etc i mean i was a big cyberpunk fan in the 80s when that kind of thing arose um i just felt that all of that was a bit dated mm -hmm. in the early 90s to be honest it had already been done very well by ian gibson and his crew i didn't really see why any of that stuff had to be applied directly to um doctor who particularly did you collect equally the missing adventures as well as you did the new adventures? I kind of, as soon as the missing adventures came out, I ignored the new adventures okay. and basically would try to buy the missing adventures that I thought would be interesting. Mm -hmm. Mostly yeah. Pertwee then? Or? Mostly Pertwee, Baker. Um, I mean, I've got, I've got a full set of them, mm -hmm. you know, and I've got a, a full set of the Virgin Adventures as well, including, you know, the super rare kind of Lung Barrow, um, yeah. Dying Days, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera ones. Mm -hmm. But, um, uh, yeah, no, I mean, I enjoyed the I enjoyed the Missing Adventures more and I enjoyed the, the Trout and Pertwee and Baker ones the best. Yeah. The Hartnell ones to me seemed... Well, no, there were some good Hartnell ones, actually. You know, I think I enjoyed... Yeah, no, it was the first... No, there were actually I enjoyed them all. No, I, I I take that all back completely. I pretty much enjoyed all of them. Cool. Any yeah. any, any ones that leap to mind, putting you on the spot here? Um, putting me on the spot. There's a ah, there's the one where the second Doctor meets the Delgado Master. That was a good one. Uh -huh. I can't remember what that's called. Um, I can't remember what any of them are called. There's a Talents of Wang Chiang sequel set during the Key to Time mm -hmm. season. Mm -hmm. There was a vampire one where Nissa becomes a vampire. Goth opera. That's the one. Paul Cornell one. Yep. Yeah, um, yeah Paul Cornell. Um, I, Paul Cornell ones were good, actually. He wrote, there was a great one I remember called No Future, which featured the Vardens. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, spoiler alert, uh, features the Vardens. And that, actually, that, I think that I, I count for one of the reasons why I think the Vardens are so great, because it covers the Vardens very well, very effectively. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, they were pretty good. I mean, they had great covers as well. I mean, I'm quite visually oriented, so Alistair Pearson did all the covers mm -hmm. for The Missing Adventures, and he did a really good job. I thought the covers for the new adventures were a bit hit and miss. Yeah. Um, some of them were excellent. Others were... I probably could have done better myself. Mm -hmm. So at the time, were you uh, sated by... The video releases and new novels being put out. Were you particularly looking for Doctor Who to return to the television in the TV movie format in 96 or um, something else? I was excited that it was returning. Did I feel the need for it to return? I, you know, I can't really remember. I, I was excited that it was coming back mm -hmm. and I was hopeful that it would be really good. Yeah. I was frustrated by not being able to basically buy all of the VHSs instantly or have some kind of channel where I could watch them. I guess, you know, there was satellite TV that showed old Doctor Who, but I mean, I couldn't afford that either. Mm -hmm. So um, living with, you know, student pals, etc. Right. In London and, and in the north of England. 
So yeah, I mean, I was, I was, I was excited it was coming back, <laughs> and I was curious to see what kind of job they do with it. How about you, 1996? I was over the moon that it was coming back, and I had such high hopes. I was thinking that we were going to see a whole season. We're going to see Paul McGann return as the Doctor. It would be really big. It'd be rival X Files, and then I watched it, and uh. I just sunk deeper and deeper into the cushions of the couch as did, did you watch it on your own or did you proudly invite all your friends around to what have them watch I, this awesome show you've been talking about for years i had uh just gotten married that year so i watched it nice. with my wife and or uh, the year before and had just uh, watched it with my wife and had my mother-in-law recording it as a backup recording and i had nice. my parents recording it as a backup recording it and i was recording it and I just, yeah, <laughs> I just had a sinking feeling more and more. And I think at the time, combined with my apathy towards the missing adventure line, because I couldn't mm. get into them, I think the one that I tried was Gareth Roberts' English Way of Death, which didn't... Yeah, I don't like... Th that's one I didn't like, actually. I don't yeah. like Gareth Roberts particularly. Yeah, so that didn't click with me. Sorry, Gareth. So I wanted more Tom and Lala type adventures and that one really wasn't working for me so i thought okay the further adventures of ace in the virgin new adventures wasn't going for me so television television that's where doctor who belongs that's right. where it's going to be it's going to be great uh, they're going to put a lot of money into it it's going to be a great story because they want this to launch and get high audiences and it just was none of that and i was probably more hung up on continuity at the time and i'm going no, the master is not a snake, and <laughs> the eye of harmony isn't in the TARDIS, and it just wasn't. It was very disappointing at the time where I was with Doctor Who fandom. I think the half human on my mother's side, the kissing. By that time, I had basically glazed over and tuned out, and it's just sort of like, yeah. They don't know what to do with Doctor Who anymore. I think I'm just going to focus in on what I like, which in the 60s and 70s, and yeah, I mean, ironically, and move on. I mean, ironically, and I think that was my analysis at the time in '96 is that they were trying to please everybody, and of hmm. course, as everyone knows, by trying to please everybody, you please nobody. Yeah, and they were trying to make an American-style show with two quirky protagonists who go around solving crimes. Um, right. Like the X-Files. X -Files. Yeah. Um, or actually the other one I thought it was like, I thought it was like Highlander. Yeah, yeah. Where you you have like battling super beings yeah. trying to save the planet or destroy the planet. Right. And they were also trying to completely continuity screw it into the history of Doctor Who, you know, which again makes right. no sense having Sylvester McCoy turning up because... Who the hell knows who's, who's, who Sylvester McCoy is, apart from fans of Doctor Who, who are basically right. not your main audience. Um, not at that point, no. And that's, I mean, I think that's the genius of RTD right. in 2005, is that he made a show that would appeal to everybody rather than just fans of Doctor Who. Because fans of Doctor Who are going to watch it, are going to watch anything basically, that's got Doctor Who in it, pretty much. Pretty much. Um, Although, as Chris Chibnall found, you can push it so far, but I don't know if the same... I think a certain segment of fandom just gave up on that. Yeah, I mean, I, I was disappointed. I was very disappointed in it. I watched it, and every second of it, I was like, oh, yeah, maybe, maybe this will be the good bit. Maybe it'll get good. But it was all yep. dark and yep. raining, 
The story was dumb. Even the, the story, story was, was kind of stupid. And I wasn't a huge fan of Sylvester McCoy. I'm obviously I am now. Right. But you know, it's like why Sylvester McCoy in it? He wasn't very good. I don't have good memories of his tenure as the Doctor. Right. Sitting around, why does the TARDIS look like that? Yeah, and it just went on, and you know, it was long, and it just wasn't that exciting of a story. They tease you with Daleks at the very beginning, but then it's just get to know Sylvester McCoy, see him get shot. Then you have a whole bunch of goofing around in the hospital, regeneration, and then post-regeneration crisis doctor. That's not the way to win hearts and minds. Yeah, and I mean, again, I, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what it was like in the UK, and you, maybe you can tell me more of what it was like in the United States, but there was a lot of publicity around it. Hmm. And, you know, they released the VHS, like, on the same day or the day after. Or the wow. day. So there was some, like, VHS release thing as well, mm-hmm. and there was a Radio Time special, and then there was a strip drawn by... Uh, what's his name? Sullivan, I think, uh, in the Radio Times, and obviously Doctor Who magazine went all out for it, right? Uh, until they also realised that it really wasn't that good. Uh, and I think there was a great article by Gary Gillett that kind of detailed, mm-hmm. like the kind of hangover after, after, after the TV movie. But there was a lot of publicity around it. It was a big deal, and I think one of the disappointments. One of the things, as a British fan, I wanted it to be a huge success. Right. Um, if we're talking about what fans wanted in 1996, and I wanted there to be, a, to be you know, a full series. But actually having watched it, I was like, this is pants. This is basically like a bowdlerized, Americanized, wrecked version of Doctor Who. I'm glad that it sort of was, was is a failure and there's not going to be a series. Right. Which was a very disappointing thing to feel, to be honest. So I didn't want it to be a series having watched it. But so this is just going to be like the X-Files. And I didn't like the X-Files. I didn't like Mulder. I didn't like right. Scully. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't like them solving crimes um, <laughs> around the place. Right. Yeah, I've always said about the X-Files, it's like the kind of lie. It's the, so it's a live action reverse Scooby-Doo, basically. Yeah. Where, whereas, you know, instead of it always being not an alien, it always is. So instead of it always being not a ghost, it always is a ghost. Mm-hmm. So yeah, no, I was I was I was I was then sort of vaguely pleased that it was back to us again. Yeah. Yeah. In the states, there was nothing. It was crickets. There was hardly any news. I was on the internet by then. Right. So that was the source of information. Oh, yeah. There just wasn't anything publicity-wise. It took years before the rights were worked out to even to do a VHS release. In really? the United States, yeah. Huh. I, I don't think it was until after the show had come back that uh, RTD had launched that the VHS really? came back in the States, yeah. Wow, okay. So I hung on to my three copies of it on <laughs> off-the-air recording, but I never watched it again. Other, I think the, the second time ever that I watched it was when it came out on DVD. So there wasn't even anything about it in TV Guide or like, I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Entertainment Weekly or something? Certainly not cover. There wasn't the penetration that it has now with post-Matt Smith. It, it's, it didn't saturate the subconscious of America. It was a 
Fox movie going up against I think was it Roseanne or something and it I just, think it was the it was the finale of Roseanne wasn't it and yeah that's what I so, seem to remember reading so so it was just it was doomed due to scheduling it was doomed due to story I'm not sure what audience they were trying to get they weren't trying to get new fans maybe they're trying to get the the Virgin New Adventure crowd on board but they would have watched no matter what old fans would have watched I don't know what it wasn't an exciting adventure in time and space. So is a so 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 just to just to refresh my memory, what you just said. So as an American fan, mm-hmm. having watched that in the kind of early summer of nineteen ninety six, you were like, okay, well, I don't really care about any kind of contemporary Doctor at this point. I'm just going to go back to the things that I like, right? Which is Doctor of the nineteen seventies. Screw them. Going back and basically being my own curator and developing right. my collection, working on program guides, collecting those. Uh, making, oh, yeah. Making sure that I'd have completeness coverage as well I can with commercial VHSs. And then kind of piquing my interest with the missing stories and speculating because even at at that time there was no soundtracks available or very few soundtracks available telesnaps were few and far between and uh, dwm was uh, prohibitively expensive and rare Mm. to find in even comic book stores that would cater to it and if you did find a copy it was several months out of date it was difficult to find. I remember I always used to go to the late lamented um, Uncle Hugo's to get my mm-hmm. my copy when I lived in Minneapolis. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there were always those. There were those kind of weird. There was a lot of kind of weird sort of fan style material. I remember always seeing in kind of comic stores and kind of sci-fi bookstores in the states, which kind of like this just looks cheap mm-hmm. and as if a fan made it. Um, so I'm not that interested. Um, and that was the good thing about Virgin having the license because what they realized it wasn't that expensive to kind of make Doctor Who stuff. So they just kind of made it, mm-hmm. which was good. Were you caught up in the whole excitement around um, Tomb of the Cybermen when they discovered that and then released that very quickly on VHS? I found out about Tomb of the Cybermen uh, release when it came out in a catalog of PBS products that we were getting in the house because probably my parents were members or had given money to KTCA at some point. So we were, we would get these catalogs of new products. So I found out about Shada being released on VHS and I thought it was great, a new Tom Baker story. So I picked that up. The American edition of Shada didn't come with the script or anything. So it's just what you get on the video cassette. Mm-hmm. So that was uh, education and then there was tomb and sort of like okay a missing patrick troughton story coming back i'll check that out because i wasn't a big fan of patrick troughton based off oh, of really? what was at the time based off what was going on it was crotons dominators seeds of death and the war games it wasn't enough to formulate an opinion so having the tomb of the cybermen and watching the tomb of the cybermen really opened my eyes up to Patrick Troughton's Doctor. And I started exploring more through target novelizations than that his stories because I really liked Tomb. Tomb really captured my interest. So one of your one of your desires as a fan in the in nineteen ninety six was to have more missing episodes return, right? Yeah, and and that's the <laughs> that continued on through throughout my fandom, even to today. It's 
recapturing or re-seeing or being able to experience the 1960 stories as fully as possible. Yeah, I mean, I again, I think it was because I wasn't really particularly involved in like fandom because you had to kind of really try <laughs> to be involved in <laughs> fandom in those days. I gradually became aware of the whole thing about missing episodes. And I think as far as I can remember, it was really the release of Tomb that really kind of made me realize that the reason why I couldn't watch a bunch of stories that I was interested in watching is because they didn't exist. Right. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So as we come post TV movie, my interest in Doctor Who really was waning, I think. Hmm. It was pretty much just rounding out the video collection. And I would watch them regularly, but I wasn't trying to get new stories or anything. To me, Doctor Who was over and done. And it was, uh, I just couldn't believe that Doctor Who magazine was still cranking out a product. And <laughs> it was sort of like, what is the point? I mean, <laughs> I, I couldn't find a reason other than, okay, maybe they're flogging new adventure novels or something. Interesting. It just, I wasn't interested in the new stuff coming out, like downtime video or even Big Finish. It really? came out like in 99, I think, with Sirens of Time. I just, eh, okay. Uh, it's three doctors that I really don't care for. I'm not that big of a fan of the 80s doctors. So, hmm. eh. I'm, you know, if they had gotten Tom Baker right away and Liz Slayton on board, like in uh, 98, 99 timeframe, I think I would have had a totally different view. But maybe even not, because with Ghost of Endspace, uh, with Pertwee, they didn't really recapture the same magic in the bottle that they had in the 1970s. So, so for me, so in the late 90s, I lived in London. Yeah. And there were a couple of stores. There was 10th Planet in Barking. And then there was um, the Who store in wherever that was. Um, I'm trying to remember whatever tube line that is. Anyway, and they used to do regular signings. And there were signings at Forbidden Planet as well. So I, I my, I, I was still, I, I got Doctor Who magazine on, you know, on a monthly mm -hmm. basis. And I very much enjoyed it. Very much enjoyed the comic strip, um, right. which was really kind of doing it for me in terms of giving me a kind of Who fix. But I can remember my lovely wife opining to me in a similar way that you've just said. It's like, what have they got to write about? <laughs> um, well, no, this, this, all this and other stuff. So I, I actually kind of got more into it. Do you think that's because of your background in history? Because it was looking more of at a historical perspective. Yeah, and I think very much I saw Doctor Who magazine as being the kind of journal of record, which I found interesting that, you know, mm -hmm. it wasn't actually a kind of a monthly entertainment thing even though it was terrifically entertaining it was like okay this is a part work that kind of builds up into a comprehensive analysis of my favorite tv right. show and it was a lot of fun going to signings mm -hmm. you know i met liz sladen and i met colin baker and peter davison and terence dix right. and tom baker yeah mm -hmm. in waterstones on uh, Great Victoria Street and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And there were some signings that I didn't go to that I kind of regret to this day. There was a Michael Craze signing, which I almost went to. And then, I don't know, there was something else going on, so I didn't go. Mm -hmm. And even though I've got stuff signed by Nicholas Courtney, I never actually went to a, I never got them signed personally by right. Nick Courtney. Um, so that seemed to me to be fun and interesting. And I also, I mean, I started by, I mean, I bought the the big finishes, right? No, well, not when they were on cassette, not when they, you know, weren't, weren't big finish, 
But, you know, when they became the official Doctor right. Who audio line, I bought the Sirens of Time signed by, and I still have it, signed by all three of the doctor, the relevant doctors in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, mainly because I felt, well, okay, you know, if this is the only thing that's... that If this is going to be Doctor Who now, then if I don't support it, if I don't buy it, then mm-hmm. it's going to go away. Um, little did I know that actually <laughs> it's become the kind of juggernaut that it is now. So did you think of it as kind of a tithe? <laughs> as a what? As a tithe. As- yeah, 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 exactly. But I mean, and some, I mean, some of those early ones are, are, are great and some of the early right. ones are not so good. And, right. you know, keen listeners of our podcast will know that, that we also, that, 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 that we believe that to be true. Some of them are good and some of them aren't so good. Right. But they were always a fun listen. I did a lot of traveling for my work at that point on the train mm-hmm. and I had a little portable CD player and mm, I would nice. I would slot in a big finish CD and I would listen to that on the train and mm-hmm. it was very very pleasant when well, technically I should have been working on the train <laughs> you know who knows? You can only focus so much on work for so long. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. Yeah, and some of them, you know, I have very strong memories of being marooned at Doncaster Station because um, the trains were on strike or it was raining or something, so the trains weren't running. And, like, so I had to spend, like, two hours sitting in Doncaster Station going up to midnight. And, you know, uh, I don't know if any of you have been to Doncaster Station, but it's really not that much fun. And <laughs> listening to a minuet in hell and thinking, like, well, this is much fun either. Ah! Right. But it's the only thing I have to amuse myself. So, yeah, you know, I was I, I actually got more into Who after the 96 movie and I got more into newish Who because it seemed to me that people were sort of doing the kind of Who things I was interested in, which mm-hmm. were kind of comic stuff and the kind of, you know, historical analysis of the show and right. making new drama. Yeah, that's what I wanted. I just wanted more of that, basically. And I I was pretty happy with it, to be honest. I didn't really need it to be remade in 2005. Really? How did you first find out about the news? I'm in Doctor Who magazine. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, That makes sense. But I mean, I wasn't... Obviously, you weren't at the Fitzroy uh, plotting and scheming. I wasn't with, 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 with Moffat and Russell and, Russell and, and, Moffat and Cornell and, and all, all their merry pals. No, I mean, I was back living in America at that point. Mm-hmm. And, and again, I think we're talking about what we wanted at that particular time. I was kind of ambivalent. I thought, well, okay, it really didn't go very well um, in 1996, so I'm not going to get overexcited. Right. And I'm just going to see... I'm Basically, I was happy with... I was getting the DVDs at that point, mm-hmm. and I had a lot of those. I was ordering v- them. From, DVDs or VHSs at that uh, point? No, I'd stopped getting the VHSs okay. by then. I was then getting starting to get the DVDs, and I uh-huh. and they were... I was ordering them from 10th Planet, actually, in Barking and having them sent to America. No, no, no. They were sent to my sisters and then she would forward them on to me. So they're they're all signed as well, which I Mm -hmm. liked having. So I was getting the DVDs, which I enjoyed. I was picking up the big finishes, which I enjoyed. I was reading uh, Doctor Who magazine every month, which I enjoyed. So I was fine, actually. I didn't need there to be new Doctor Who in 2005. In 2005, I was very excited that it was coming back, but very apprehensive, too. Because 96 seemed like a misstep at the time, rather than just being reflective of the Uh mid-90s. And I was hoping for what I felt Doctor Who was. And I've been thinking, thinking, what do I think Doctor Who is? And it wasn't what 2005 brought, I guess. It wasn't... 
it wasn't the 1970s all over again, even though they debuted with Autons. It was different, and it was relevant to teens of 2005 rather than, uh, you know, a 35-year-old man in uh, 2005. So we're talking about what you wanted in 2005. Did you want did you want the series to be a success or Oh, of course. You, yeah, but I just but, didn't Or did you not you didn't really care that much? Oh, I cared. I wanted it to be uh, definitely to be successful, but I didn't see it as successful. When I was watching it, I just thought it was oh, this isn't very good, is it? And obviously, I'm very wrong and I've reassessed my position on that, but I warmed to it very slowly, and I think it was mm. partially due to the news leaking out that Eccleston was leaving. And so the whole series for me had kind of a distaste in it, like, oh, well, this is not being serious because the doctor, the actor who plays the doctor isn't even going to stick around. So mm. what is it? Every season we're going to have a new doctor. We're going to blow through doctors like water did you know much about david tennant yeah, I kn- at that point knew nothing about david tennant knew nothing about eccleston either uh, all i knew about billy piper was a pop star and reading right reading the forums the uk fandom seemed really apprehensive of having this young pop star be in it and from my perspective uh, i knew nothing about billy piper and sort of like well she looks like a companion so i think she'll work right i was more worried that they'd have like uh Jerry Halliday of Spice Girls, <laughs> Posh Spice or something. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that was if I had any apprehension about the 2005 reboot, that was that was my apprehension is was was Billy Piper because all I knew about Billy was that she was a pop star from Swindon. Um, <laughs> I was a big fan of Christopher Eccleston because I knew I'd watched Cracker, which he was in. And I very much enjoyed 28 Days Later, which he's very good in. So I knew him as a very good actor. Mm-hmm. So I was really pleased that they picked him as Doctor Who. And I also knew a lot about David Tennant because I'd been listening to Big Finish. Mm-hmm. So I knew that David Tennant was a fan of Doctor Who. And I knew that he'd been in various Big Finishes. And he would played Luther Arkwright in The Adventures of Luther Arkwright, which was a comic book adaptation that... Big finish had done from a comic book that I was very interested in. So I was a you know, I was very ready for David Tennant. And what I felt in two thousand and five, I wasn't because I wasn't on Recart's Doctor Who and all that kind of stuff, I didn't really know how the internet worked. At I that. think it was Outpost Gallifrey. Or Outpost Gallifrey or or, yeah. or or whatever. I wasn't kind of in with the gossip, you see what I mean. Right. My take was that it was all deliberate hmm. and that because Eccleston is a or still is, or I think was a lot more then, in fact, perhaps. He was an important British TV actor. My take was he'd only signed up for one series, which was fine with everybody, and that was deliberate because they wanted to introduce the concept of regeneration and then hand over the job of being Doctor Who to David Tennant, who was definitely a fan of the show and would stay on for a lot longer. Ah. And I think what's kind of interesting, actually, and I, this is no diss on Chris, and I know, I'm sure you're listening, Chris Eccleston. Um, <laughs> and I think, you know, for lots, lots of very relevant reasons and right personal reasons, I think Christopher Eccleston kind of went down a little bit as an actor. And post-Doctor Who acted a lot of really crap American movies and, you know, was kind of... 
a little bit kind of squandered his early success after Doctor Who. And I think, hmm. again, I think a lot of that was to do with his own personal health problems, etc. Right. Um, and then sort of ironically, since Doctor Who, I mean, David Tennant's stardom has really very much increased. And he's, you know, one of the biggest acting stars in the UK right now. And he's very sensibly has not made a move to acting in crappy American movies because that's the only roles that British people get in American films are either playing villains right. or putting on daft American accents in <laughs> movies. So, you know, so I think ironically, I mean, to me, in some ways, their roles have kind of been reversed. Hmm. So um, I'm not sure where I was going with that. Oh, no, I mean, I guess I, I guess what I'm saying is, is that I, I thought it was all a plan. Mm-hmm. I thought RTD had been really super smart, had been able to book um, a really top-level actor, Christopher Eccleston, to do just one season because Chris was an important actor who mm-hmm. wanted to go away and do more serious drama. And then they handed over to kind of this young, kind of frivolous Doctor Who fan who was never going to amount to anything, right. who was David Tennant. And actually, that didn't happen, though they, they in fact kind of almost reversed themselves. So that was my take. Which is... Which is wrong, obviously. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's not what happened, but it's... Uh... It's, I think that if I had that attitude or that mindset, I might have been able to embrace it a little better. It just uh, it just didn't click for me until much later. And now, I mean, we're 15, 15 plus years away from yeah. the return of Doctor Who. And it it feels more classic and nostalgic. So I wonder if for me to truly enjoy Doctor Who, I have to watch something that's about 10 years old because that was what <laughs> happened. Right. That's what happened with me with Tom. I was watching, started watching in the early 80s and so it was six years old. So it was old television. And maybe I, maybe my uh, appreciation of television is a decade, half a decade, decade behind what's it has contemporary. to be old before, be you, old. before you enjoy it <laughs> i don't know <laughs> so what i was looking for i think at the time i was looking for probably more tom and liz or huh. tom and uh, mary right i think I think at the time and that definitely wasn't what russell delivered with doctor who and you didn't feel that you would want to get involved in the sarah jane big finish audios which i think were yeah the doctor 2003 or so the doctor wasn't in it right it it was that combination and right i really like the sarah jane adventures that rtd did but i'm not really keen on what rtd did with the character of sarah jane okay sarah jane smith and i think it's very similar to the big finish stories is uh sarah grows up and sarah has to deal with more adult situations or sarah like in a school reunion in doctor who sarah turns out she's been pining for the doctor all these years and never carry on with her life and waiting for his return and i think looking back this is what russell's idea of the character was and a lot of the uk writers idea of what the character of the doctor and the companion was specifically like on ace was very contemporary to what uh, young people at the time in Britain were going through, like in the 90s, like of the Virgin New Adventures. And 
it didn't work for me. I think I was looking for a more 1970s mindset and it wasn't working very well with a 1990s take on the character or even a 2000, mid-2000 take on the character. So maybe it's more of a retro nostalgia for my childhood, what I'm looking for Doctor Who rather than teenage drama. Fair, yeah. So, so, so in 2005... Did, did you you wanted it to be a success mm-hmm. but you weren't that fussed in terms of watching it yeah it wasn't a success for me how how did you watch it did you watch it torrents i had torrents. i yeah, had okay. a i had a co-worker who found out or knew about torrenting and he torrented all the episodes when he came into work on monday because work had high-speed internet access and it was out there and by lunchtime on the Pacific Coast on Monday, we would have Doctor Who. Interesting. And and then we would kind of excuse ourselves and go to our desk and watch Doctor Who at work. Interesting. <laughs> I mean, I th- <laughs> with our headphones on and on on our PCs. I mean, I think I've said before. I mean, my sister would record them on VHS and send them over to me, mm-hmm. but. I think after that first season, I also then learnt about torrents and started doing the torrent thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I learnt about torrents from Adam Buxton of the Adam and Joe show, who I was a big ah. fan at that point, and he was a big torrent torrenter. Um, I'm sure mm-hmm. he won't mind me saying that. If he's listening, hi, Adam. Um, <laughs> but um, Call out. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's... And then, you know, and then it became... You know, after when Tennant took over, certainly in the UK, it became way bigger than me liking it or not. That right. whether I liked it or not was completely irrelevant. Right. It was just the biggest show. And therefore, in some ways, that was easier because then I didn't really have to care about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was not like Big Finish where, you know, I felt I should be buying the Big Finish CDs. Right. Because if I didn't buy the Big Finish CDs, you know, Big Finish wouldn't succeed and it would go away. Right. I, there was, you know, there was no reason for me to to support the show because it was a huge success um and i you know i was very pleased that there was kind of merchandising that i wanted mm-hmm. mainly little action figures is what i liked the most <laughs> um which you know again uh, very distressed that th- those weren't really kind of available to me when i was a child right but yeah you know and then i think i was able then to satisfy a collecting itch yeah and actually things were affordable then mm-hmm. but there was just so much of it that actually the kind of ah there's li- there's so little of it and i can't afford it was kind of reversed and like there's so much of it and i can't af- and, well i can afford it but there's just too much of it for me to have so yeah forced you to be selective yeah exactly exactly so it, again that little bit of ownership i think as fans we still want to own a piece of the program whether it's a recording or an action figure a a novel we have a a bit of ownership or want to own a bit of it i think is one yeah we do one piece we do we do piece of piece of doctor who it's one of those shows that well maybe all shows are like this but you know you want to be part of it um Mm -hmm. it invites you to be part of it and I think because when it was rebooted in 2005, it was essentially being made by fans. I think, you know, right. those people understood what what we needed or what fans would like. Right. In a way that was analytical of 
thinking about what fans actually want rather than thinking about what you think fans want. So it was, you know, mm-hmm. I think that's the difference between RTD and JNT. Because, I mean, JNT wasn't necessarily a fan of the show, but he thought he understood right. what fans wanted. When I think RTD really understood what fans mm-hmm. what fans wanted, as well as understanding what everyone else wants as well, which is why I think he's such a good such a good writer. So I think zooming forward to today as a fan, what do you want now? Yeah, what are you looking for out of Doctor Who? I was literally just thinking about this today because I'm currently unemployed and therefore have a lot of time to think about things. And I want Joe Martin. <laughs> Joe Martin to be Doctor Who. Yeah. I think I I really, as much as one admires Jodie Whittaker as a person and as an ambassador for the show, I think the show really has made a mistake and sort of lost its way by deciding, to, and I've, I've said this before, so this isn't a surprise to you any bit, by saying, okay, we're going to have a female Doctor, right. but we're going to have the most acceptable kind of female Doctor possible. A young pretty blonde haired white woman Mm -hmm. and just i would love there to be an older woman to be the doctor and i would love there to be some diversity in playing the doctor and it seems to me that joe martin is like it would would be such a waste if she is just shuttled off to one side as being like ooh, the weird alternative doctor don't know about her she needs to be the next Doctor. She needs to be the 14th Doctor. And if that doesn't happen, I will be very angry. Grr. Grr. So that's what I want. Hmm. I think that's good. Yeah. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I think I'm happy enough for Jodie for this, this next season to be, you know, if we're going to do it every three years, fine. If that's the thing now, then I'm happy for Jodie to have another year. But then I want her to step aside and for her to regenerate into Joe Martin. Very good. What do you want? Yeah. Yeah. I've been thinking about this, and I would like Doctor Who, the character, to be turned over to fandom and become public domain. Oh, interesting. Okay. And my reasoning for this is Chibnall opened the door with this with the Timeless Doctors, where we can have an infinite number of Doctors throughout time, and... In a way, that turns Doctor Who over to the fans even more so because anyone can play the Doctor now. Anyone can tell a story. And I know this isn't going to happen because it's too valuable of a property. But I think when you have these stories, and these stories have kind of become a modern mythology in a way, in the same way that we have uh, Greek and Roman stories uh, they're more encapsulated in time because we record them rather than retelling around the campfire so they're more fixed fixed points but i think the amount of creativity around fandom that was kind of corporately controlled in 96 through virgin and big finish through licensing and stuff i think a property that's over 50 years old really needs to be turned and set free. We can still have the official source of Doctor Who being BBC or its licenses. But I think after a certain amount of time, and I think 50 years is probably a good amount of time, that it really belongs to the fans and the fans should be able to make new stories, even if they profit from it, 
you know, have that incentive. It, it, it shouldn't be controlled by a select few blessed by the BBC. I, mm, I would interesting. I would expand. I would expand it out. It is the grim fairy tales of our time. They become our folk stories. They're our lingua franca of fandom. Doctor Who belongs to all of fandom, I think. And so I would find a way to open up for the timeless doctors to be the timeless fandom, I think is what I would like to see uh, Doctor Who. And I think by doing so, you would ensure the survival of Doctor Who. Interesting. So that well, that's what I my thought is. Uh, yeah, uh, make it a copyleft public domain entity like Sherlock Holmes is. Yeah. Okay. Fair. All right. Yeah. Not going to happen. But nope. As you not going to happen. <laughs> but oh well. On that note, <laughs> let's see. Let's see what happens. All right. Thank you for listening to episode one eighty four of the Metabulous Two podcast. I have been talking about what fans want with Ben. And I have been continuing to stan Joe Martin with David. <laughs> Excellent. Stanning is the word, right? That's what the kids say nowadays? Yeah, that's what all the kids say. All right, this is what the kids say. Okay, good. Yep. Good night. Good night.